If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, and our text this morning will be from verses 18 through 24. As Dr. David shared a moment ago, we will wrap up our study in Ephesians today. But before we begin, let me uh, pray for us. Father, as we come now to hear your word, would you speak to us? Illuminate our minds by your Holy Spirit. Teach us the truth of your word and apply it to our lives, we pray, Father. Now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. CNN ran an article December 9, 2004 about the war in Kuwait. And the title of the article read, Troops Put Thorny Questions to Rumsfeld. A single question from a young soldier touched off a media firestorm. The U.S. Department of Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld had arrived in Kuwait at Camp Buring to deliver a pep talk to the troops and to kind of rally the troops. But the article states, the usually unflappable secretary found himself blindsided by a bold question. As news cameras rolled, Army Specialist Thompson, uh, Thomas Wilson of the 278th Regimental Combat Team stood up and asked Rumsfeld, Why do we soldiers have to dig through the local landfills for pieces of scrap metal and compromised ballistic glass to up-armor our vehicles? It's a tough question. I'm not exactly sure. I don't recall how Donald Rumsfeld answered. But one thing was clear, that Specialist Wilson clearly felt that he was being sent into battle without proper protection. He knew that without proper protection, he was weak and vulnerable and susceptible to the enemy's attacks. And so this morning, though believers are weak against the enemy, as Paul has already shown, it's why we need to be strengthened in the Lord. Verse 10 of Ephesians 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We need to be strengthened in the Lord. And so though believers are weak against the enemy, we don't share the same fear that Specialist Wilson shared. And the reason is because our Supreme Commander generously equips us, as we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks, he generously equips us with a belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the gospel of peace, with the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. And it's precisely because we are weak that God has armed us with his armor. And though we are weak, what Paul is saying and has been saying and, and is saying to us this morning in the text we'll look at is that we are at our strongest defense against our enemy when we pray. When we pray. For it's when we pray that we actualize the armor that God has given us or appropriate the armor that God has given us. 
He says, put on the whole armor of God. And it's through prayer that we appropriate this armor and we engage in the battle. And so this morning, as we look at this text, the title of the sermon, Every Believer's Battle, Prayer for the Weak. That's what prayer is for. It's for the weak. It's for those who know they're weak. We come to God, who is our strength. That's why in verse 10, he says, the Lord our God is our strength. And so this morning, I want us to see that though we are weak, through prayer, we confess our dependence on God and are strengthened to overcome our enemy. Through prayer, we confess our dependence on God and are strengthened to overcome our enemy. Over these last three weeks in Ephesians, we've seen the reality of spiritual warfare. The believer's true hope is that God, through Christ, strengthens his children for battle against the enemy. Christ, our Savior, has won the decisive victory, and he's clothed us as a new humanity, robing us in this battle armor, in God's armor. Literally, as we saw last week from Isaiah's prophecy, the Messiah's armor. Therefore, there's an urgency for the believer to put on the whole armor of God so that we might stand firm in battle. And so we noted this command to stand is central. It's the focal exhortation of verses 13 through 17. And our text is directly connected to those verses this morning. So the context of standing in spiritual warfare. That, or the context is, rather, standing in spiritual warfare, in battle against our enemy, the devil. And so standing power in battle against the enemy begins with prayer. The devil wants to destroy the believer. Do you know that? He wants to destroy you. He wants to ruin you. He wants to stop you from being on mission with God. He wants to rob your joy. He wants to do that in any way he can. If it's introducing depression into your life, circumstances or situations that tear us down, it might be that. There's a whole host of ways that Satan attacks the believer Don't forget, he's been around for a long time since the fall of creation. He studied humanity. He knows what makes us tick. He knows how to tempt us. He knows how to steal our joy. He knows how to introduce situations and circumstances that will pull us down and bring us down. And so he's not satisfied as long as you're walking with God and living for God. He's merciless, he's relentless, he's wise, and he's cunning. And he's not satisfied until you're defeated. And as long as you're living for God and pursuing righteousness and holiness, he won't stop. So, church, we must stand relentlessly. And the secret to standing relentlessly is prayer. So first this morning, I want us to see from this text... That prayer is absolutely vital to the believer's victory in spiritual warfare. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. Follow along as I read. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints and also for me. 
that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This morning, as we begin looking in verse 18, prayer is absolutely vital to the believer's victory in spiritual warfare. It's through prayer that I acknowledge my dependence on God. We acknowledge dependence on God. Think about it. Why else would we come to God in prayer, right? But we are depending upon him. When we pray to God through Christ, we come before the creator of the universe, delighting in him, communing with him, and beseeching his divine aid for our strengthening in day-to-day life. An often shared quote that's been attributed to Martin Luther says, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. You see, prayer strengthens the believer to fight. To stand in battle against the enemy. Prayer sends our enemy in flight. And that's what Paul is saying here. We mentioned last week, or I mentioned last week, what John Piper says about prayer. He calls prayer our wartime walkie-talkie. And the image that we have in this chapter, particularly in verses 13 through 17, just preceding our text this morning, is that we are engaged in a real battle. And this armor is on us we're equipped with this arm and it's hand-to-hand combat and that we are coming to God in prayer in the midst of this intense battle and we're calling out to him in prayer prayer is this communication between the front line and our commander who's given us commands on what to do and the believer is pictured here as standing firm in the midst of the battle, not stepping back, not falling to temptation, yet standing firm, advancing or defending and fighting against the temptations and the battle that's coming against us from the enemy. And prayer is the fundamental line of communication between the believer and the commander in arms. And it's through prayer that we discern God's leading, that we become moldable and pliable for heeding our master's command, that we become emboldened in standing against the schemes of our enemy. I shared 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 last week. Listen, again, I'll share it. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because praying is the climactic activity of the believer's life. So the context of prayer in the believer's life is the spiritual battle that we're in. He says in verse 18, in all circum, uh, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit. Remember the connection between chapter 5, verse 18. He says, don't be drunk. It's dissipation. That's sin. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit. There's a call for the believer to walk in the, the fullness of the Spirit. And here in verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit. And so when we pray, church, we're praying as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, as Dr. David led us this morning to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And when we pray this prayer, we are engaging in the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom of God for God's will to come and be done in and through our lives. And listen, church, if this is our prayer, you can be certain that Satan is coming after you. When we are walking in God's ways, Satan wants nothing more than to stop us. And so when we pray, we're calling on God to further his mission in the world through us and to use us for his glory. And this transcends every day activity in our lives. And so Paul gives us insight now on how to pray. How then are we to pray, brothers and sisters? Well, we're to pray for one another. We're to pray for ourselves, and we're to come before God with intercession and supplication doing this. And so here's the first way that we are to pray. He says, first, pray continually. Look at what he says, praying at all times in the Spirit. It means regularly and consistently praying. There was a man named Brother Lawrence and Brother Lawrence, was a, uh, uh, he lived in a monastery in the 1600s. He was a brother for the monastery, not a monk. Uh, but after he passed away, his writings were collected into this book called the Practicing the Presence of God, or The Practice of the Presence of God. And here's what he said. He said, the most holy practice, the nearest to daily life, and the most essential for this, and the most, let me start over, the most holy practice. The nearest to daily life and the most essential for spiritual life is the practice of the presence of God. That is to find joy in his divine company and to make it a habit of life. Speaking humbly and conversing lovingly with him at all times, every moment, without rule or restriction. Above all, at times of temptation and distress, dryness, and revulsion, and even of faithlessness and sin. This is what Paul is saying. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Our days, church believer, our days should be full of communing with God. What does this look like for your life and for my life? It it looks like as we're going through the day, having this open conversation with God. In the midst of all that we do, it doesn't look like bowing my head and I said this, I think, last week, bowing my head and walking down the street with my eyes closed, praying all the time. It looks like a continual conversation and everything that we're doing, we're doing it as if we're doing it unto the Lord in, in, in all reality. And so when he says here, praying at all times and, and, and walking in the spirit, praying in the spirit, rather, at all times, what he means is he means being filled with the Holy Spirit's presence, as he says in, in 518, or in chapter 1, verse 13, when Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So that we might discern, and so that we might hear, so that we might know what the Holy Spirit is teaching us and, and leading us to do. And so this looks like being filled with the Holy Spirit's presence as we walk throughout our day 
and being in constant communication with the Father through the Spirit whom He has made to dwell in us. In fact, in what He says, that we were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, He's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And so it is the Holy Spirit who's even keeping us and who's leading us. But then also, we're, we might discern the will of the Lord by His by his promptings, we see that in verse 17 of chapter 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And so we are to be keeping in constant conversation with God. Chapter 5, verse 10 says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, this is the work of prayer, of reading God's word, of communication and communion with the Father. And so he says, we pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This word supplication, it is the word for requests and petitions. And what he's saying here is that we come with all prayer and supplication, with all requests, voicing our needs before God. We pray to the Father through the Son in which we are prompted and guided by His Spirit who dwells in us. Think about what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And listen, and He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God even brothers and sisters when we don't know how to pray for ourselves the spirit is interceding for us with prayers that are too deep for our own understanding at times and so our prayers take many forms prayers of prayers of praise prayers of thanksgiving Prayers of confession, prayers of intercession and petition. Have you noticed the liturgy of our service here at Crosspoint? Of what we do in our corporate time of worship? We, we intentionally walk through these types of prayers every Sunday morning because these prayers should be the rhythm of our daily lives. And so consequently, we seek to model them in the corporate worship that we have. And as we seek to model this in corporate worship, we believe this should be what we do in our private worship, coming before the Lord in prayer, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, he says. But secondly, I want you to see that we're to pray vigilantly. We pray continuously, but we also are to pray vigilantly. He says, keep alert with all perseverance to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. Like the watchman. Literally, he means here, keep awake. Don't fall asleep. When we're engaged in battle, no soldier is sleeping. He's standing and he's fighting. She's, she's standing there and she's fighting. She's not backing down. This has been Paul's point. Verse 13, we saw last week, having done all to stand firm. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts. And now in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You get 
the point here and what he's saying. Always, there's an urgency about it. Making certain that we're always on guard, being vigilant, being watchful. The call here is to spiritual alertness in the midst of battle against our enemy. We must be alert spiritually because the devil is active, right? 1 Peter 5, 8. He's active. He's like a lion roaming about, seeking those whom he might devour. Believers are to guard against the false doctrine and disunity. That's part of this spiritual battle. But perhaps the greatest reason for perseverance in prayer is guarding against temptation and weariness. We see this in, in Luke 21, 34, where Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand and to stand, therefore, before the Son of Man. You see, like the disciples, I think we tend to sleep when we ought to be praying. Jesus in the garden has gone to the garden of Gethsemane to pray just before his crucifixion. And he tells his disciples in Mark 14, 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, we know what happened to the disciples in the garden, don't we? The disciples in the garden, when Jesus goes off to pray, they fell asleep. In fact, three times Jesus went off to pray, and three times the disciples fell asleep. And so when Jesus returns to the disciples, he finds them sleeping. You see, when stress is high, we want rest. This is part of the human condition. It's not just you, right? And so when we ought to be praying, oftentimes we find ourselves wanting to sleep. And what Paul's saying here, stay awake. Perhaps this is the most difficult point in the spiritual battle. And so, like the disciples, here's the point. When we fail to pray, we'll find ourselves ill-equipped to stand against the devil's schemes. That's why Jesus had to say to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. I pray that your faith may not fail and that when you have returned, you will strengthen your brothers. You see, remaining vigilant then means making supplication for all the saints. Spiritual alertness, church, spiritual alertness calls us to be in prayer. It calls us to perseverance in prayer as we pray for one another. And this is the communal aspect of our warfare. We intercede for each other. We pray against discouragement and, and weariness. We're not to be lulled into sleep or complacency. We are to pray vigilantly. And this looks like praying for the members of Crosspoint. Like it looks like being involved in one of those lives and being watchful, watching and keeping awake. As you know, the struggles that are going on in the lives of members, you, you surround them with a shield of faith, as we saw last week, and, and intercede on their behalf. One practical way to do this is when a brother or sister tells you they're having a struggle in a particular area 
and ask you to pray for them, stop then and pray for them. Or take the prayer letter that you get and spend time throughout the week praying for those individuals on the prayer letter. But let me also say something from the other side, church. And that is for us who are requesting prayer for uh, sick loved ones and those who are ill, who are in our lives and mean a lot to us. That's fine. And we need to pray for that. But we also need to go a step beyond that. And we need to say, listen, I'm struggling in this area and I need you to pray for me in this. I'm really being beaten up here. I'm falling in sin constantly, and I need your encouragement. I need your prayer. And we don't need to be too prideful than to come to a brother or sister and ask them to pray for us. This is the point of what Paul's saying. We must be interceding for one another. Prayer and supplication being offered for all the saints and our prayers need to go deeper and beyond the surface level of loved ones who are ill and we need to be praying for holiness in one another's lives we need to be praying for the sick and the infirm that are our friends and that are our family that are our co-workers yes but we also need to be praying for those who are who are working alongside them or living alongside them to be the instruments of grace that god would use to share the gospel in their lives so that they might know the hope of christ we need to pray for lost friends And we need to be faithful to stand up and to share about lost friends that we have and and ask our our saved church members to say, hey, I really have a heart for this person and I really want to see God work in their life. Would you join me in praying for them? Would you pray for me to have boldness in speaking the truth of the gospel to them? The days of people attending church because it's socially acceptable are over the way the church grows is by the members of the body engaging in real life relationships with those who are in the world and speaking the truth of the gospel into those lives God has entrusted us with these relationships for a specific reason And so here's the thing, church, we pray for one another because we're a community of faith and we're in this spiritual battle together. Read a passage of scripture and pray that for me. Read a passage of scripture and pray that for someone else. Walk through the Psalms reading that. Pray for yourself and pray for others in the congregation. Is this our view of prayer? Do we see prayer? as absolutely vital in our lives. Let me ask you, where's your favorite place to go to to begin your day with prayer? If you don't have one, you need one. What's the rhythm of prayer look like in your life? Are you daily going to the Lord in prayer? Are you in constant, continual communication with the Father? Are you praying vigilantly, watching, staying awake? Not only is prayer absolutely vital for the believer's victory in spiritual warfare, prayer is necessary for advancing God's kingdom. We see this in verses 19 and 20. He says there, and also for me. So he's saying pray, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, Paul says. That the words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly 
as I ought to speak. You see, prayer is not just for standing against Satan in battle. Prayer also strengthens us for evangelizing the lost and rescuing people from Satan's powerful grip. This was Paul's mission. We see it in Acts 26, 18, where Jesus tells him, I'm sending you to open their eyes, Paul, so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It's with this mindset that Paul says to the church, pray also for me. And here's what he's saying, asking them to pray for. He's saying, pray that I would have clarity in proclaiming the gospel. Pray that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He's praying, for, he's asking for prayer for right words for him when he opens his mouth and speaks God's word. The mystery of the gospel that he's speaking of, it, it isn't some unknown revelation in the midst of his preaching. No, it's that he would have clarity as he's communicating that God in Christ is reconciling sinful man to himself through Christ's death and resurrection. And then there's this, this profound mystery of how God brings men and women together who are of different ethnicities and who are at odds with one another as one new humanity in the church and brings us into a, a place of unity. This is the mystery of the gospel. That we might have peace with God and peace with one another. And this is what Paul is asking for prayer for. Give him clarity as he boldly preaches the word. And like any nervous preacher, he says, pray for me that when I open my mouth, I'll be able to speak the truth of God's word clearly and freely and intelligibly. This ought to be our prayer too, church. I hope you are praying that for me, but praying for one another as well, not just for me. We pray this for all. But secondly, not only does he pray for clarity, he says, pray for courage. Pray that I would have boldness in verses 19 and 20. When you think of boldness in the New Testament, aside from Jesus, I think Paul is one of the, minds, uh, one of the names that comes to the forefront of our minds. We, we don't often think of Paul in needing prayer for boldness. Instead, he's one who demonstrates boldness so often. But perhaps here's the reason why. Because people were praying that he would have boldness. At the end of Acts, in Acts 28, 30, and 31, we learn of Paul's imprisonment, and in the midst of imprisonment, he's under house arrest. He's waiting to appear before the tribunal. And Paul, it says, for two years was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul called himself an ambassador in chains. And yet it was his chief desire to declare God's word boldly. And so I would say, church, if Paul, if Paul, the apostle, requested prayer for boldness, how much more ought we to be asking for prayer for boldness from one another? That we might be bold in opening our mouths. That we might be clear and courageous as we declare the gospel. And he says here in verse 19, as, or in verse 20, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Believer, it's highly probable that God has placed you in your vocation and entrusted you with the relationships that he's given you. 
so that lost people in your life would hear the gospel proclaimed from your lips through the relationships that he has given you. It's highly probable. It's God's design and desire to use us, the church, in this way. So let me ask you, do do we really believe that Jesus Christ died to reconcile men to God? I hope we say yes to that. Secondly, I would ask, do we really believe that Jesus is, as John 14, 6, he, he proclaims, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me? If the answer there is yes as well, then I want to challenge us and encourage us to, to be bold in our living, bold in our proclamation. Let us pray for one another to clearly and boldly speak the gospel as we ought to speak it. C.H. Spurgeon was once asked, what's the secret of your ministry? And he replied, my people pray for me. Challenge us, may, may this be the case for Crosspoint, not just for me, but for one another, that we would pray for one another. He also said the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend the lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose. And the lion will defend itself. Speaking of the word of God. You see, we're all ambassadors of Christ and we're all engaged in spiritual battle and we all need one another as we engage daily in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. The battlefield has left many Christians wounded, many Christians who let down their guard, who thought they could live the Christian life on their own. And so, church, we must pray for one another. That's why Paul's encouraging us to pray for one another as we engage in battle. We must be bold and courageous in our speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ to coworkers, to family, to friends, to neighbors. And we must take initiative to reach out and to care for one another, to be involved and to be engaged in each other's lives. This is why Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians. He was concerned for their spiritual growth. He was concerned for, uh, for, for them to know how he was doing one, but to see them grow as a, as a community of saints, to be strengthened together as one body, to be united in faith. And so as he closes his letter in verses 21 through 24, we see him speaking to the fellowship of community, care, and the gospel. And this fellowship of community care in the gospel, he demonstrates it here at the end through highlighting community. And so he says in verses 21 and 22, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. We find one of these truths Evident within the life of the body of Christ, especially here at Crosspoint, and that is this, as we gather together, we too are encouraged by one another. When we gather together to worship on a day like this, on the Lord's Day, we're coming together to encourage one another with what God is doing in our lives and to be encouraged and challenged from the Word of God so that as we go out into the world, we too might live faithfully following after Christ. But also we see this element of care within the body. In verse 21, Paul speaks to me, he says, so that you you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you 
everything. In other words, he'll tell you everything about what's going on in my life. Paul knew that the church was concerned for him, and this speaks to our concern for one another, I think, in our daily lives. We are concerned for one another, and just like the church was concerned for Paul, we too are to show that concern for one another. And I think there's even a familial aspect here to the community of faith where he calls Tychicus the beloved brother. Even later, as he says in verse 23, peace be to the brothers, there is Something to be said about the community of faith being part of the body of Christ. And then finally, this fellowship that's centered around the gospel. Look how he closes in the doxology that Paul uses in verses 23 and 24. He says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, love and faith. And then verse 24, grace, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The hope of the gospel brings peace between man and God. This is why Jesus died on the cross. And consequently, it brings peace between man and man so that we can live together in the midst of community and that we can be unified in the midst of community. And it teaches us love first because God first loved us. And we know this because Christ himself came to demonstrate his love by laying his life down on the cross and dying for our sins. And because of that love, Paul has shown how he has created within our own hearts a faith in God. And it is love of God, love for neighbor, but love of God through the work of Christ that has created faith in our lives. And so he says, and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, grace. This is God's work in our lives. Though we don't deserve salvation because of the sin, God has graciously given us salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. In other words, a faith and a love that cannot cannot be shattered. It cannot be rocked. It cannot be corrupted. So Paul's challenge for us this morning, our challenge, church, is are we a people who pray for one another? Are we praying for clarity and boldness in one another's lives? I want to invite you to do that this morning, to pray for clarity and boldness, to speak the gospel as you ought to speak it. Think about those whom God has entrusted you a relationship with, whom God has placed you in relationship to. Think about those in your vocation, how you can be a light in the midst of darkness. And then praying continually and vigilantly. Does this describe your prayer life? Does this describe my prayer life? That we are continuously going before the Lord in this communication, praying for our spouse and our children as we're walking through the day and spending time with them. Is this what it looks like in our lives? Are we, are we keeping watch, keeping awake for one another, praying vigilantly? I hope that we are. I know that we all have room for improvement in this, and I pray that this will help us to understand God's design and desire for the church, for the community of faith. I want to pray for us this morning and you respond as the Lord leads. Maybe for you, you need to take time and you need to come and kneel down even on this step as a sign of 
commitment before the Lord saying, I'm going to increase my prayer life so that I'm I'm praying vigilantly and praying continuously and walking in the spirit. Maybe that's what it looks like for you. Or maybe you need to pray and ask God for give you God to give you boldness in the midst of your living to boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel to those that God has placed in your lives. I'm going to pray and you respond this morning as the Lord leads. Father, as we close our time together this morning and close our time in the book of Ephesians, we thank you for the rich truths of your word. We thank you, Lord, for even the privilege of prayer that we can come before you and we can say thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we can pray with an expectancy, knowing that you hear us, knowing that your eye and your ear are turned toward us. And so, Father, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for our faith that you have given us. And we thank you, Father, for the privilege of prayer. And now, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us to be men and women who pray continuously and vigilantly and courageously. And Lord, we pray that you would give us clarity and boldness as we seek to live out and to speak your gospel to those in our lives who don't know you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?